Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. It's in that sort of sense of um, pivoting from, you know, a, a together experience, pivoting back to an online experience, that sort of uh, shift in expectations that uh, happened in my heart this week as we tried to make this uh, challenging decision uh, surfaced for me uh, kind of a, a contrast between uh, a hoped for uh, ultimate future of us being a gathered community, ultimately looking towards uh, heaven when we're gathered around the throne, uh, to the reality of this being a time, um, really all of this time from the time of Christ through to uh, his return being what is described by Peter in the scriptures and Paul in the scriptures as a time of exile, as a time of in-betweenness, a time of not quite really living perfectly uh, in the true country that God meant for you to live in. So there's a very strange way in which uh, we live, particularly feeling it in this time uh, with COVID, but we always live in a time of not quite yet, a time of not quite there, a time of not quite satisfied, a time of not quite fully present um, to uh, the reality of the glory of God as we might want to be. And so we sort of ask ourselves, how do we sort of live in this time? How do we live in this strange time? What instruction is there for us in the scripture? And how do we really find beauty uh, in this time? Uh, because we know that God hasn't intended it for us to have like a miserable, dreary existence. He intends for us to have uh, a time of beauty and glory and walking uh, with him that is uh, reflective of that future, even though it doesn't perfectly uh, mirror it. So we uh, are living in this strange time. And so the, the title of this message is, how do we find beauty in exile? That's sort of the question. And so uh, to look at that um, answer, uh, I went to First Peter uh, chapter 1. And again, I went there with uh, some grief in my heart. Uh, the message that I had for us on Sunday, if we were to be gathered together, was one about uh, the value of gathering and the beauty of it, all that kind of stuff. And and I'm like, now I'm preaching a message on uh, from the studio on feeling like we're in exile, right? So it's a bizarre uh, kind of a transition in the message, but I think there's just something really helpful uh, for us in in thinking uh, that way, as as Peter thought. So we're just going to look at some uh, a couple of really important ideas in First Peter. Uh, chapter 1 and 2, we're just going to touch a couple of highlights in terms of instructions for the time in exile, and uh, we're going to ignore vast swaths of beautiful, theological, rich uh, thinking, but we're just going to hit a couple of things, and we'll maybe revisit the others in future weeks. But uh, So I just want to read this. I want to start here. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, and this is his introduction to the letter. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Bithynia. And so he's basically writing a letter, a circular letter, that's meant to go out to a number of different churches in the province of Asia Minor. 
supposed to sort of get read in one place, uh, copied there, passed on to the next city. Somebody's supposed to walk it down the Roman roads to the next city where it's supposed to be read and copied and passed on to the next city and be uh, instruction and, uh, and life for them. I just think it's interesting how he addresses those people. Uh, now, these are people in different uh, cities, uh, all with different contexts, all with different experiences. The flavor of their churches is a little bit different. But what they have in common is that they are living in a time of exile. They're living in a time of being not quite yet arriving in the perfect future uh, that God has for them. Uh, but the language is interesting because he calls them elect exiles. So chosen exiles, exiles that are... Um, chosen by God to go through this experience together. And I think that's right there, a very important idea for us. There's comfort and wisdom uh, for us in this chosen time of challenge. Uh, God's presence is there. Uh, He's been aware of this. He's aware of the sense of uh, dispersion, this sense of disconnection. And uh, he knows it, and he is sovereign, and he knows it's just something that we have to walk to walk through together. But there's a sense of chosenness and a sense of purpose and a sense of God's overarching sovereignty uh, that's added to it that brings comfort. Um, so we accept that comfort. We experience it. We just ask the Lord to uh, reveal to us um, that he has purpose for us in this moment. We draw comfort from that. Um, but jumping ahead to verse 13, we, we pick up where Peter is kind of trying to just give some instructions for how to live in this strange time. Now, these churches are largely persecuted. They are marginalized. They're basically uh, groups that have been started by Paul going into a synagogue, uh, connecting with some Jewish people. Some of them convert to Christianity, become believers, and they begin to reach out to their Gentile friends and neighbors. And a church is formed with a core of Jewish uh, people at the center of it who understand the whole Jewish story and understand all of the images and understand all of the richness of that tradition, who are then contextualizing uh, Jesus, bringing Jesus into their uh, Jewishness, and then at the same time, uh, generously and lovingly uh, sharing that whole package with the Gentile believers. So Peter is essentially writing to a church that is dominated uh, numerically by Gentile believers, but he's writing in uh, Jewish language language and Jewish images so that uh, the Jewish folks are ending up having to translate this for the Gentiles and they're taking the whole thing on board. So it's a bizarre uh, way for teaching to happen, but taking these Old Testament images and bringing them into the future, bringing them into these New Testament contexts uh, provides some, some richness and beauty. So we have this uh, little instruction for us and we're just sort of really cherry picked these in uh, uh, in uh, verse 13, it reads like this, is therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul has a unique way of seeing uh, the situation, of seeing uh, hope, of seeing a way forward for people in a seemingly hopeless situation. And what he points to is this idea is that the life of our minds is critical to the experience of hope. I think that's really interesting because we often think of hope as something that is kind of intangible or ethereal or 
you can't quite wrap your heart around it. And sometimes you sort of feel it and sometimes you don't feel it. And your emotions are subject to, you know, the air pressure and the weather. And is it cloudy or is it sunny or are you hungry or are you sad or are you cranky? Uh, all of those things really affect what we feel about hope. Um, but Paul is saying that there's something to be done about that. Uh, he says, prepare your minds action and being sober-minded. He's saying that uh, all of that sort of emotional mixed-up makeup that we have is also affected by our minds, affected by what we think, affected by what we believe. So it's important for us as disciples uh, to uh, engage ourselves intellectually. And that word preparing is really actually an an interesting word, and it's one of those words that points back to the uh, Jewish experience and to the Jewish story. That word preparing is gird the loins of. Gird the loins of your mind. What he's pointing back there to is Exodus chapter 12, 11, when everybody is getting ready for this Passover, this incredible experience of uh, them being led out of Egypt. And, and he's saying, like, get ready to go, get ready to work, get ready to make this thing happen. Uh, there's something for you to do to be ready for what God is about to reveal to you. And the language, like gird your loins, is like take your cloak and stuff it in your belt so that you can run and you're not going to trip over your own cloak. Uh, Our equivalent would be like getting ready for sports, like guys, like wear supportive underpants. Uh, Ladies, this is not time for the underwire. This is time for the sports bra. Um, Like get ready to go. Get ready for action. Prepare your minds for action. Uh, Being sober-minded. Intentionally set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you. So we are wise to prepare our minds for the work of hope before we have need of hope. Isn't that interesting? That uh, we can expect times of challenge, we can expect times of difficulty, uh, we can expect maybe times of persecution, um, but in the times when there is health and when there is an ability to go deep and be discipled and read and be transformed, that's the time to begin to prepare yourself for what's coming. And so there's an instruction for us there, uh, maybe a call to us to be a little bit more disi- uh, disciplined in terms of our uh, engagement with the scriptures and engagement with um, uh, ideas that are kingdom ideas and kingdom thoughts. So just the summary there is hope isn't just something we hope for. Hope isn't like something we have no control over. Hope isn't something that we can't do anything about. Uh, It's not an intangible, elusive, ethereal something or other. It's something we set ourselves up for intentionally. So you have power and authority in your own life given to you as a gift by God to prepare yourself uh, for his provision, to prepare yourself for this crazy journey. Uh, You don't have to feel hopeless. You don't have to feel powerless. Uh, God has intended you to have the strength and ability uh, to prepare for the crazy time of exile that we're experiencing. He is so able to give you that because he loves you. He has not left you powerless. We're going to jump to verse 22 to just catch a second instruction. That's all we're going to do is just catch these two simple instructions. And again, these are embedded in some really, really rich theological content. So I've just cherry-picked a couple of verses, and I'm just bringing us a little bit of hope from them. And I really encourage you to read all of 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 and 2 and to just dig into it. Let's hit uh, verse 22. Having purified your souls 
by your obedience to the truth for instance for a sincere brotherly love and here's the instruction love one another earnestly from a pure heart so the other thing that we see that the lord wants us to have for this time in exile is really good relationships with one another he really wants us to have unity. He really wants us to have a deep relational connection with the other humans who are on the journey with you. And what is really interesting about what Paul is assuming about love is that uh, he's commanding people to do it. Like this language, love, is not just like a feel, hopefully you feel love for one another. It's actually a command. So if love is commanded, then it has to be more than a feeling. It has to be able to be a choice. So again, this is another area where Paul is pointing to your empowerment. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit to choose to love one another. You're empowered to do that. Um, so we are so taught in our culture and we're so immersed in a culture where uh, our feelings and our emotions and our instincts are meant to drive us. Uh, people expect that we are more like animals than we are like thinking, choosing beings. Uh, and that's sort of what you're taught. You're sort of taught to feel what you're feeling and do what you're doing and follow your instincts and follow your heart. But the scripture says you have authority to actually direct the love and passion and all of the things of your heart appropriately uh, to the right places according to God's design and God's direction. So the first thing we notice here, again, is Paul just assumes that love isn't something that just happens to you or is random or an ethereal feeling that sometimes is there and sometimes is not, whether the weather is good or the weather is bad. It's something that's a choice. Of course, we always teach this about marriage too, right? Love is a choice. And so we can choose it. But more than that, and it gets kind of challenging here, he says, uh, it's not just love one another. It's not just discipline yourself to love one another. It's not just, okay, you can choose it, so you ought to act in a loving, disciplined way towards one another, which is awesome and beautiful. And sometimes that feels like that's basically almost all we've got, if we're honest. Uh, but um, we are to love one another earnestly. Jesus is saying, we want this to be real in your heart. We want this to be authentic. We want this to be something that comes from who you really are. And it's meant to be not only meant, but it's meant to be pure. It's meant to be otherly. It's not meant to be uh, self-motivated. Right? And this is a huge challenge for us. Uh, it's a huge challenge for us to live as truly otherly people, truly people who uh, can love and care for others uh, without self-interest. I don't know if any of you remember that sort of famous episode from that old show, Friends. I say that old show, Friends, because uh, I'm old. Uh, but there's this one episode where this character, Phoebe, is like trying to do the perfectly selfless act. And she goes through all of these hoops to try to give and be generous and, and give lovingly. And at the end, she was like, man, that felt great. And it's like, like killed her, right? Because ultimately that way of loving was somehow something that was giving something back to her. And I think that's sort of a reality. We do feel great when we love, but the goal is to really just be people who love purely and love selflessly. Tremendous challenge for us, but that's the call on our lives. So the command isn't just to discipline ourselves to love or act lovingly, but it's to, uh, to actually do it in an authentic way. So the reality, though, is that we live in a cultural context where our models for love are Instagram filtered and they're selfies. Our, our models for love are, are strange, right? Like if you're looking for, you know, Harlequin romance, 
uh, things on uh, Netflix. That's Stories of Love. Uh, Stories of Love are little, you know, sort of video content that you catch on Instagram. Like I watched uh, uh, something I just saw it sort of scroll through my feed on Instagram the other day where it said, I think think it was entitled something like, This is the Happiest Story Ever or something like that. And it was like, is it really? I'm not even going to watch it to find out because I know that this thing is curated and it's managed and it's presented and I don't know if I can trust that it is really real and authentic like this person just wants a lot of clicks I don't know if I can trust that and I think that's a challenge for us even as Christian leaders in the way we present ourselves as a church to uh, authentically communicate and love and care and preach and do all of the things that we're doing uh, in a selfless way it's very hard for us to do that as uh, ultimately selfish people. There's a constant battle to lay our lives down and to be sanctified and become more like Christ. So it's a big question. How do we choose earnest, pure, and selfless love when ultimately that's just not who we naturally are? If we're honest, we uh, often have self-interest. Uh, in the beginning of the verse, Paul sort of speaks to how that might work. At the beginning of verse 22, he says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. And this is uh, Peter in uh, verse uh, 22. And he says this, having purified. And he, what he's talking about, what he's using there is a word that's reflected in the Septuagint as ceremonial cleanness, as having had defilement washed away. So our souls can have the defilement of selfishness washed away, washed out of our soul. That's where we get the word psyche. Uh, by obedience, by hearing and obeying. And that's sort of an, there's two inextricable uh, uh, concepts in this, in this word, that to hear something is to obey it. To truly hear it is to obey it. So we are to obey the truth. And that's challenging for us. What it's really saying here is that we are to obey the truth of the moral and spiritual reality that God has intended for us. And that is hard. That is really hard for us to look at our own lives and look at the challenges that we're facing and the relationship struggles that we have and to look at the solution for those challenges and those problems first to be in the question, do I see myself truly as Jesus sees me? And am I truly being who he's called me to be? This call to look at ourselves with a kind of a brutal honesty is, uh, in my experience, is painful. It is painful to look inside your heart and see that a good portion of what gets you up in the morning is pride. Uh, To look in your heart and see that something that drives you uh, in part somehow alongside with your calling is a fear that you won't be provided for, that you won't have the resources you need, a mistrust in God. And to see that all of that impurity affects your relationships and affects your friendships 
and affects uh, the way that we relate to one another in a church. We're called to reflect on what's really in here and to ask the Lord to take any of it that is not him and let it be cleansed off of us like a defilement. And one of the things that's just uh, that, that I have often used as an excuse for myself and say, oh, well, that's just my personality. Oh, that's just how I'm wired. That's just how I'm meant to be. But hidden behind a lot of the, our personality things are wounds and brokenness and uh, misconceptions about God and who he is and how he loves us and what the gospel means. And we end up living falsely relative to one another and wondering why our relationships are full of angst and frustration and grief and pain when really very often it's ourselves that doesn't see the world rightly or doesn't act according to uh, this Greek word, which is uh, athelia, which is like a true, pure reality that is from God that is sort of superimposed over everything that we see and we think about ourselves. There's another reality that God has for us. And so in this time, in this time of exile, uh, the call, if we want to be healthy and if we want to survive, it is actually to deep, deep discipleship, to deep wrestling with who we are as people and allowing God to make us new and to transform us. In this time when people are wrestling with uh, all kinds of self-doubt or uh, the pressure of COVID has made our marriages difficult, uh, the pressure of COVID has made our family relationships difficult, uh, the pressure of COVID has made our relationships with our friends in the church difficult, while uh, everybody else is struggling with the same thing, the one thing that you can deal with is ultimately coming to be a person who views yourself the way God sees you and begins to act in conformity with it, to obedience, to submission, uh, to God's reality. Our souls can only be made pure if we submit them to the truth. And from my experience, uh, that is sometimes very painful. It's like that feeling, just if you want to understand it, where uh, I do this, I torture my poor children this way sometimes, is when it's time to wake them up in the morning, you know, I crank on the lights. And you know what that feels like when you've been in the dark for a long time and a bright light shines in your eyes. There's a painfulness in your eyes water and you want to close your eyes and hide under the covers and not experience the reality of that light. But at the same time, that light is what can going to help you navigate the challenging times uh, that are ahead. We need the light, the truth shining in the brokenness of our hearts and making us new. So healthy relationships start with truth. And then Paul just gives us, uh, this is going longer than I'd hoped, but uh, I think it's worth just going into this one little uh, piece and tying this together. Uh, the continuation of verse 22 into verse 23 says this, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. The ability to look at that light, the ability to look at that truth is to see it as a gift 
is to see it as rebirth, to see it as a whole new way of being that was provided for you through what Jesus did on the cross. And remember this incredible story of Jesus and his conversation with Nicodemus, that in order to enter the kingdom, you have to be born again. You have to be born again. So that self that lies to ourselves, that self that doesn't see ourselves accurately, that self that is hiding under the covers, that self, we have to let that self die. That self can't ultimately survive eternity. It's perishable seed. But the truth of who you are and Jesus' love for you and the security that that provides through the forgiveness he's given us on the cross enables us to move forward, move past that self that's lying under the covers in the dark and step out into the light and start our day and walk through exile with hope and with good relationships and in beauty, that we can experience beauty in exile through what this text says, uh, the living and abiding word of God that leads us to the true selves that we're called to be in Christ, that we're free to be. That is, this, these texts have said that we're empowered to be. We do not have to be people who are hopeless. We do not have to be people in broken relationships. There is a hopeful way to move forward in truth as we are discipled by the living, abiding Word of God. The truth is the only thing that survives eternity anyway. So that's the call for us, I think, uh, for this time in exile, uh, to be discipled, to be discipled. We can't do this if our lives are medicating on Netflix or our toys or uh, alcohol or whatever it is that we use to sort of keep this tired person in bed, hiding under the covers, hiding from the light. We're not going to navigate this time well if those are our go-tos. We're only going to navigate this time well if we commit ourselves to the truth. We commit ourselves to discipleship. We commit ourselves to transformation. And that's the call. That's what's got to happen now in this time. We have to get in our groups. We have to get in our each other's faces from six feet apart or on Zoom calls. And we have to become more like Jesus. And that's what he wants for us. So that's it. In this time of exile, we prepare our minds for hope. We connect with the scriptures. We commit to loving our brothers and sisters by being formed by truth. And then we find beauty in exile and a reflection of heaven. And that's the joy for us. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.